welcome to the show, Tom Snyder. So Tom, executive director, connector, genius at many things, uh, currently with Riot. Um, welcome, and why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and give us your, your five or more minute bio. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. Good to be here. Uh, yeah, Tom Snyder, I lead the Riot organization, as you said. We're an economic development focused nonprofit with the basic thesis that the good jobs are all the jobs that get created at the forefront of new technology. So I uh, get to spend a lot of time working in the technology space, helping entrepreneurs, helping established organizations to figure out how do I continue to capture new market opportunities that I wasn't able to capture before we had really interesting interconnected devices and data analytics and you know all the, the buzzwords that you have in the tech space today. Yep. So Riot, um is built on IOT and why don't you give us like a 30 second or more? I don't even, I'm not trying to put time limits on this. I'm a terrible host. Um, give us the IOT for dummies um, overview. So for those that don't know the acronym, the IOT is the internet of things. And it's this concept of all of our devices being connected to each other and sharing data and, and just automating lots of stuff. If you didn't know about IoT, don't worry too much about it. I think it's a transient term, to be honest. It's kind of like the World Wide Web. You know, once upon a time, every, everything was World Wide Web, and now we don't use that word anymore. We talk about the internet. It, the internet of things is really about the whole world is moving to being data-driven in real time. So, so more and more, we're using the term the data economy. But the Raleigh Internet of Things meetup was the start of Riot. That's where we got our name. And so we, you know, we still have this love of the IoT term. Yep. Sweet. Well, that's a great actual kind of, I wouldn't call it a transition, but um, you know, or the way I think of IoT is data, but it's also that data is coming off of more and more things that are deployed into the field. Where did we get our data from, you know, 10 years ago? Well, 10 years ago or even more. We didn't think so much about data. We thought more about information, which was, you know, we gathered stuff, but we had to put a little bit of sense behind what that was. And then that ends up looking like a document or it's a photo, but you know what the photo is, you know, the, where the internet of things is fundamentally different from data, say 10 or 15 years ago, is that now we're able to do things the instant that a piece of data is created. We can, you know, instantaneously analyze it, understand what it means, create some kind of action, drive, you know, automation as, as I described. And, and a lot of that is, you know, with the, the human outside the loop, um, you know, we're getting to a point where the cars can drive themselves. doesn't mean that we don't still like the ability, maybe to occasionally take the steering wheel and drive it ourselves. But, you know, when things can be automated and we can then live, you know, happier, higher quality lives because of that automation, you know, kind of that's where the data is going. But, but you made a really interesting point that it's hard to automate an awful lot of things if you don't have information from everywhere in real time and historically we just weren't able to collect and automate that data you know even the data collection piece because it was too expensive to uh you know to deploy sensors in different places or we didn't have the radio technologies to get the data off the sensor and back to the cloud or it was too expensive to analyze that data uh, the, the cool thing that's happening now is that the cost of data transmission, the cost of data analytics, the cost of data storage, the cost of sensor deployment, the ability to, to harvest energy from our environment so these sensors can power themselves and you don't have a bunch of batteries that are dying everywhere. Like all of these things are technology advances that are tipping and, and approaching cost of zero. And so you know, we're, we're entering a new age and, and uh, 
and an opportunity for a fundamental transformation of the economy because of, of technologies that are, are democratized through low cost. That's great. I love this sort of evolution from IoT and we're focusing on internet and things like what are all these things to data and really and so what you just said was something that I have had a question about which is a lot of IoT well now I'll call them data projects have sort of a like a captured closed loop end to end use case or installation you know you have to buy the sensors you have to buy a gateway you have to buy a layer of software or build this all yourself and then you have to go install it each time you want to do it so it's kind of like while it's repeatable it's sort of a non repeatable one off like installation process. As you say these things are like kind of out there there's more going to be more things more sensors more data and the cost of these things are going to zero it's infrastructure. Uh, how I mean give us sort of like a relative to zero to a hundred percent i mean how much data is out there kind of in an infrastructure layer which is maybe readily available to all or to many versus still kind of like one-off you know closed loop systems it's a great question and i i don't know if we know yet how the dust is going to settle on this there are lots of reasons to make data sets completely open and accessible to everybody and and there's a huge shift in government, for example, towards open data and, and getting away from proprietary systems and things. Um, however, the availability of information, you know, the, this is fundamentally why the, uh, you know, in, in oil and gas, the, the, the biggest of the big players in the energy sector never gave up drilling because whoever can get the oil at the very beginning owns the entire downstream value chain and how that oil is refined and transferred and everything else. Well, data is the same way. Whoever owns the sensor ultimately can decide at that point who gets that sensor information. Do they keep that sensor data to themselves or do they go you know, share it with others? Uh, you see like an IBM, for example, recognizing years ago the importance of weather data. And so they bought the weather company to own all those edge weather stations that are collecting information because weather affects almost every business. You, you see big software companies like uh, you know, Amazon and Google and others building hardware. You know, what, why does Google care about a smoke, a smoke alarm or why does Amazon want a doorbell? Well, it's because those are the devices that are generating the data that they can then use to, to build services and things. Um, one day, the auto manufacturers are going to figure this out and they're going to stop. Uh, it, you know, they won't let Uber or Lyft know where the cars are and they'll be the ride sharing companies. You know, right, right now, those ride sharing companies don't know where the cars are anyway. They just know where a driver's phone is. But when a car drives itself, the phone's out of the loop and the data has been cut off. So you're right. Uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see how many important data sets become proprietary and owned by big corporations and how many are open and accessible for anyone to use. Um, the jury's still out. That's great. That's crazy. Uh, I wonder if IBM will now just be a weather company. I mean, they seem to have shed like the services. I think they're selling the healthcare, the Watson, like which one in that big thing is going to be, uh, kind of the one that, that lasts. Um, it could be weather ironic. I, th I think what's interesting about that, Nick, though, is that companies have to realize te technology is the single biggest steerer of the economy. You know, we, we can think regulation from government and other things, you know, there, there are things that steer our economy, but, but nothing steers it as fundamentally as, as advancing technology. And companies that don't adapt to do new things 
fail. And, and IBM is one of these long-standing companies that has realized it needs to reinvent itself over and over again. And so, yeah, maybe it'll be a weather company, but it won't be that weather company forever because there'll be another advance in technology that'll steer them in, in a new direction. Um, I think that you know, the manufacturing sector is a great example here where for years, manufacturing has focused on technology adoption only for doing lower cost manufacturing. And, and if all you're doing is fighting on cost, you, you, you have a losing proposition. And so manufacturing got moved to other other countries where there's lower cost labor and other things. But but now that the sensors are going to be added to the things manufacturers are making, manufacturers now can completely flip the tables and say, hey, we're back in control because we have the infrastructure to do something that's really hard to build things and to distribute them and so on. And we now own all the data that those things generate. All of a sudden, manufacturing could jump back to the top of the heap. Uh, the question is, anybody going to figure that out and actually do that. That's right. Well, one thing that you said, which was, I think is interesting. Um, so I was thinking like, is this like open source versus closed source or proprietary data and businesses can have proprietary data. Like, like it's, it's sort of like maybe not, well, I mean, this is a different thing, but it's not necessarily the, the business's job to determine what's proprietary versus not. Of course they want, proprietary stuff they want to have their own data etc but it's really in the government so like and i notice you guys or i not notice i know that you guys work with sort of municipalities how much of this is a government role which is sort of you know i mean in a free market capitalism world and we're saying like gosh more of this should be the government sounds weird sounds crazy but i will also just throw in for storytelling or context i was just watching bill's brain about bill gates and the whole first episode is about him solving these septic system issues you know, and so he's like, you know, all these, everyone cares about like water and this and that, you know, in the, in the developing nations, but he's like, there's no septic systems. They never invested. And, and now in today's dollars, it would be billions and billions of dollars, like per city. So completely out of reach to reinstall that valuable infrastructure that for us is like, you know, prevents, you know, what, are, what are like 3 million, three million uh, baby deaths a, a year. So like we did do that infrastructure and now we are able to thrive. I mean, there's one of many infrastructures obviously kind of in a developing kind of place like us versus a developing nation. But you know, thinking about that, is that something that you know, you're know you kind of advocating with governments to be thinking about? There, There's one area in particular that it is adamant, I think that the, that the government do more, which is the deployment of broadband to every resident, every citizen, everyone that lives in any geography for years we have recognized the importance of water systems, uh, of electric grids, of things that, that are highly regulated. Now, just because it's highly regulated doesn't mean there's not private operators, right? My power company is a private company. It's not uh, a municipal utility, but other towns in North Carolina are municipal or around the nation. Um, but there was this decision for, for whatever reason, uh, the reason was money, but we'll, we'll not get too political in this conversation, that Broadband is really only provided by private industry. In North Carolina, in fact, it is illegal since, since 2011 for municipal government to provide broadband to its citizens. It must be provided by private industry. But the deployment of broadband is not necessarily just a free market. It costs a lot more to deploy infrastructure in the mountains, for example, than it, than it is in somewhere else. It's, it's more expensive per customer in a rural area than an urban area. Um, there are the cost of deployment of that infrastructure is so expensive 
but standard free market principles don't necessarily apply. And therefore the competition that would uh, enable a fully privatized solution is just not really there. When you think of broadband as the cost to deploy versus the cost of services. But if you think about broadband as the cost to deploy versus the societal value, there's a huge value proposition to provide broadband to every, every resident. And therefore, that's where I think the government should step in and make sure that, that, that we are, um, you know, enabling everyone to access in remote education, in remote healthcare, tel you know, telehealth, in e-commerce, in, in remote work. Um, if we look at that particular thing, not as a utility, we're failing. And I think that's where the US is falling behind other nations and not thinking that way. So I think there is a role for government there. I don't necessarily think that there's a strong role for government to, to be adamant about this data set should be open, this data set should be proprietary. I think, you know, there, there are probably some ex exceptions, but for the most part, the market can solve some of those things. Um, the second area where government maybe do, does need to take a stronger role is in protecting user data. Um, privacy is very much a business decision. And right now there's an awful lot of bad actors out there that are, are not holding people's privacy um, with as high regard as they probably should. And, and I, I think that we'll see the US follow Europe and some other global leaders in, in strengthening privacy laws. Yeah, that's great. Um, well, I mean, the US or the government, at least, I guess if they fought like a business, it sounds like they have a lot more money and upside to make by deploy by making the investment in broadband, whereas a private company only gets the rents or the service fees or the contracts or whatever or maintenance money. Um, you know, the municipality gets, you know, that plus, you know, increase in economic development, increase of, in transactions, possibly reduction in healthcare costs and other things that are burdens on the system. So they kind of like their revenue goes up and their kind of cost basis among a, across the board could go down. So that's, that's definitely a, a compelling argument. Um, you know, what about like the, the sensor infrastructure? Is that, does that, where does that real fall into the, with the broadband? You don't think that's a, maybe a government thing if they want to provide more sort of data collectors that will then become open data? I think when the government provides, uh, does sensing directly that more often than not that data will be uh, accessible as open source information or there'll be public APIs for people to, you know, to, to subscribe to those data sets. I'm seeing evidence more and more where when the government works with private industry to deploy a new smart city solution, for instance, that there is a requirement on that private industry provider to allow the data then to be accessible for public use. So I, I think we will see more of that uh, happen actually. Um, from the, the, um, the pure private side, one, one of the things that's interesting is we're seeing more and more when an industry is coming to, to provide a solution, say, to an enterprise customer. Oftentimes, when they're deploying sensors, they're going ahead and deploying those sensors with their own network and, and bringing everything back through, you know, a, a 4G gateway for, for data backhaul or something. Um, because then it's absolutely their system. It's their data. They're never connecting to the client's local IT system or their local Wi-Fi. It greatly simplifies deployment. And um, so, so we're seeing a lot of that. I don't know how sustainable that is. You know, if you're running a, say, a, a large high rise and you have 25 different service providers providing 25 different services over 25 independent networks, you know, things could get messy over time. But 
Uh, but right now that's definitely a trend that we're seeing because you can deploy a solution without having to deal with a client's IT. Um, and that is, you know, reduces a lot of friction in getting things off the ground. If you're a high rise, what could you start thinking? I mean, I feel like there's a couple opportunities there. One is, you know, could you start deploying infrastructure that stubs out to, you know, innovation partners if you're a high rise building? Um, you know, I guess, what are you, what are your thoughts? The other, I guess, is sort of a totally different tangent, but I was going to talk about blockchain and it's almost like, couldn't, you know, how could we create incentives for businesses to deploy more stuff? They can keep it proprietary, but they could also then tokenize the data and, and offer it to, you know, multiple uses. It might, they might, you know, the, it might not allow for like direct competitive uses, but it's why, if they could take it and say, Hey, actually this is available to the, to the right types and we can execute a transaction, they can now monetize their data more so, and therefore justify more kind of deployments and, and, you know, again, more kind of innovation. What are your thoughts on, on those? Two? I don't think there's any question that, that what you're describing is going to happen. P people yeah. are going to realize this, you know, this data has value in some cases, it'll be good just to, to offer it open source and free to the community because of the, the, the value it creates, you know, to the businesses around the high rise, for example, or whatever, but there, there also may be, um, a little bit the way intellectual property is, you know, you, you own a patent and then you might license the patent to one entity for one field of use and another entity for another field of use. I think we will see the same kinds of things happen in the data space and, and through things like blockchain, you know, that's a way to, to kind of manage those systems. So uh, let's, I, I could, we could kind of keep going on this. I do think there's, you know, I'm really interested in, I don't even know if it's really the democratization or the decentralization. I don't know if it really fits the right buzzword, but like more of the, like, if there's more abilities, like you said, for this inevitability of unlocking value streams for, for people to invest more into data infrastructures to like make the investments, we want there to be sort of like commercially viable reasons to invest. Um, you know, is there any one of those things that are taking the lead? And I want to go to like, what, what are there, what are some opportunities for companies, you know, whether it's a big company, like how might they invest, but like, yeah, is there, are there any of these sort of like methods? I also don't want to say protocol cause that sounds too blockchain, but are there any of these methods where people are seeing a more innovative approach business model wise that are like to justify more deployments, more capital investment? What are you, what are you kind of seeing on trend? Well, so related to that, maybe tying that thread together with my little soapbox I just gave on, on broadband, you look at a community like Wilson, North Carolina, that, that started deploying broadband to their citizens before this law in 2011 took place in North Carolina. You know, that, that's a, a rural community, uh, you know, originally Tobacco Town, that uh, year over year was, saw declining tax revenues, saw declining population, they deploy broadband, now they reverse that. You know, it's a growing community. There's construction cranes, there's reinvestment in downtown, there's new businesses coming in. Well, as part of not just deploying the broadband utility, then they bring in smart metering and they bring in other things that start generating data. Well, any company that's interested in working in the energy space, that's working in a place where they might be able to get access to utility data for, you know, something that's different than just the, the delivery of the, the energy services that the utility does, well, you, you want to go to that place. So, so governments that start thinking about having more and more data that's available for, for anyone to use, of course, businesses are going to say, that's an, or, you know, that's an area that I might want to work. That's an area where I can advance my company, where I can advance my business. So I think it's, it's as simple as equating data to another resource. 
people do business where there's the most resources. And historically, resources have been, you know, things like universities that are churning out talent. And resources are obviously, you know, low cost uh, utilities, water, electric, land, so on. More and more, that resource that's necessary for business is going to be data. So those places that have the most data available have a leg up on those that don't. Yeah, that's very interesting. If this, if this was like a someone that we both want to come into our ecosystems, right? So it's a company or, or someone that's has funding for innovation and is looking for opportunities. Are there places that you point them or are there sort of trends that you're like, Hey, for the, for the private capital, you know, we've got more businesses that aren't in necessarily data or IOT or, or sort of like they aren't in this type of business. Um, but many might be asking themselves. So actually maybe that's a better way to take it. Like if you're saying I'm a business and I, I feel tangentially related to this and I'm not already thinking about opportunities, you know, what would they, what should they start thinking about? So, so here's my thesis. I'm going to try and describe a Venn diagram, which might be tough on an audio program. Right. But if you think about three important circles, I'll air draw it while you do that too. So, so yeah, yeah. I'm holding my hands up in a big circle here. So, you know, so one circle is, is market needs. And, you know, a business is not successful if you're not addressing a market need. So that's, you know, basic business 101. Then you've got emerging technology, because I've already made the, the statement that I believe new business and new jobs and everything happen where, where technology are driving. And then there's what does my organization already have? What are my assets? Who, you know, my talent pool, the things that I'm already good at. When you look at the intersection of what is the market need and what am I already good at and how can I use new technology in new ways? To, to deliver value, that's where future high margin revenue sits at, at that intersection. It's hard to believe that very many organizations are ready to bring in those new technologies with your existing talent. You need to usually partner and learn. So the places, back to your question, the places that tend to be the most successful at driving innovative new high margin business, high margin companies are the ones that have the different partners that you can bring in, which, which all kind of is founded on diversity. What's interesting about North Carolina, where I live, is that we are not dominated by one market sector. We're not all pharma or life science. We're not all oil and gas. We're not all you know, medical devices. You know, there are places around our country that are much more just single industry places. North Carolina and Research Triangle have a, have a lot of diversity in that regard have a lot of diversity in terms of where people have come from. This is a state where there's been a lot of immigration that's happened from New York and immigration that's happened from California and other places. When, when you have places that draw a lot of diversity, you then can find the partners that you need to bring the right expertise to, to develop whatever that new opportunity is. And so I think that's a, a critical asset for, for where to look to do businesses. Where do you, where do you have those? Those resources, resources like Smashing Boxes, for instance, that can help you to to get these IoT products off the ground. Yeah, and one of the, what about the the like data piece of that Venn diagram, right? Because you know what you know what we have, what's a need, and what we're good at, and and what we enjoy, or you know, it's the like, love and passion in there. But how you know? Because I, I think this is one of the. It feels like not enough IoT projects or data projects are unleashed on the world on in different scales. It seems like they should just be flying everywhere. Everyone should have some sort of 
idea, not everyone, but you know, relatively like many more should have ideas for how data is going to play a role in their business. It's going to transform the economy. It's going to transform lots of things. Um, how do it, before they go out and say, is it just to say, I need data. I need to find a partner because I know what their, what needs are that are in my kind of ecosphere ecosystem. And I know what, what I'm good at, or is there sort of like that first initial two or three questions that, you know, should be asked internally for that, which then sets them down the path of, of finding, you know, kind of partners or ecosystem kind of, you know, like thinkers on their behalf. I think that, that the first question always has to be, what problem am I solving? And then ask a whole lot of questions around making sure that actually is a market driven problem. So it's really actually not that much about the data or, or the technology. It's, you know, business is still basically solving customer needs and, and, and pain points that are so strong, somebody will pay money for whatever the solution is. But then I think a little bit more to your question about how do you find those partners and, and data? We, we've talked a lot about data. The data itself is not necessarily that value, valuable unless, as we were talking earlier, you have information somebody else needs and you could sell that, sell that data just for the value of it. But really the value comes out of analytics. And anything that you see where companies right now are talking about machine learning, they're talking about AI, they're talking about um, you know, uh, neural nets, deep learning, all these kinds of things. This is all about taking that data and turning it into actionable intelligence, if you will. Um, so when you are putting together the total solution stack to address a market need, it's important to recognize, I need to know where is that source data coming from and who do I need to partner with to get that? And then what am I gonna to do to analyze that data and understand the meaning from it? And then what actions am I gonna to take to, to deploy the, um, the, the result back to my customers? And then you have to overlay that with the right cybersecurity partnerships to protect the information and with the right business practices to protect the privacy of the data. And so there, there's in a total solution stack, there's a lot of important elements. And, um, and, and where do you find the organizations that will put that together? You know, it's groups like, like Riot, you can reach us, out to us at riot.org, of course, we're, we're a nonprofit focused on helping those to connect. But, but you find these partnerships at co-working spaces, you find the, the partnerships with established engineering and software consultancies in a region because you know, organizations like that know their swim lane they know that what they're really good at developing and helping to build out as a product for you but they also know their limits and therefore any good consultancy knows the three other partners that you bring in that have the other three expertises that you might need on a project so you know th those are some starting points that i would recommend so let's switch gears to riot um and I guess, you know, I know there's always something cool going on, but do you want to highlight a couple of things that you got going on that are coming up fairly timely and, and uh, yeah, let us know about a couple of those. Yeah. So uh, maybe one at the macro level is that we're in a, in a growth mode right now. We're, we're operating in a couple of cities in North Carolina. We're expanding up into the Northern Virginia area, the DC Richmond corridor. So any of the listeners that are in that area, we'd love to connect. Uh, and we're also have started hiring out in Colorado. And, and most of these expansions are around our ride accelerator program. So we run an equity free startup accelerator, helping companies to grow. Um, we 
have worked with companies that have raised over $400 million, created hundreds and hundreds of jobs. We're really proud about that. So uh, applications are open right now for our next cohort of the Ride Accelerator program. Uh, go to ride.org and sign up. Of nearer term interest though, we just announced a partnership with Facebook Reality Labs and US Ignite and Google Fiber and a few other partners to run an augmented reality challenge. On March 8th, I believe it is, we are going to have a, a, a virtual kind of kickoff event that anyone can join. It's free to attend, where we'll explain the, the rules of the competition, but we have got some municipal partners that are going to announce some problem statements for city services in areas of, of emergency response and workforce development and tourism and, and a number of different category areas. And the goal is to, to crowdsource some ideas, kind of hackathon style, for creating augmented reality solutions to these civic needs. And there will be a after this kickoff meeting, there will be a, a meeting where, where people can make their proposals. And we're going to select about a half a dozen or so of those. We're going to give them some seed money to go and build out a proof of concept. And then uh, by this summer, we're hoping to have a real demonstration of what these teams have built. And then we're going to award uh, on the order of $35,000 or so and a slot in the riot. Uh, accelerator program to try and build and scale something with the initial municipal partners as potential pilot customers to get a new business off the ground and, and if all goes well, scale that nationwide. So we would love to have any entrepreneur that's interested come and, and join us and learn how to join a team. Well, I'll make sure this episode gets published this year. Otherwise, I'll, I'll miss it. Um, just kidding. Well, so, you know, like, these things feed each other, right? So the latter was a good example of kind of just pulling together different entities that are public, private um, providers, even if you call Facebook that, right? They've got tech. So like, they're like, I've got tech, I've got stuff and we've got, we're going to try to get some entrepreneurs. We're going to, you know, they weren't necessarily interested in just doing that themselves. They wanted to engage ecosystem partners like Riot. And then you also have the accelerator, I guess, do these each feed each other. It sounds like these feed each other. I guess, tell, tell me about kind of your, you know, ecosystem building flywheel that you have going on. Yeah, within Riot, our major activity areas are, are running this accelerator that we're expanding now to more and more cities around the United States. We underwrite that primarily through about 95 corporate sponsors that, that are the, the companies around the world that are either providing services like, like your firm Smashing Boxes does, or providing technology platforms like a, you know, a Microsoft or a T-Mobile or a, a SaaS analytic platform, for example, um, that just about every business is built on some small number of cloud provider platforms, cellular networks, semiconductor devices, you know, that um, those companies want to engage the entrepreneurial community. So there's an opportunity for entrepreneurs to participate for free to get coaching, to get advice, to build their business stack out, to build their te technical solution stack out, to potentially partner with these big companies that are motivated. If, if you have adopted, let's say, an Azure platform, as an example, in, in your device, well, it is on, in Microsoft's best interest for your company to grow and scale. So they can introduce you to customers. They can do other things because if you grow, you become a valuable customer for them. We also then run this events platform where we run events and programs, workshops, conferences around the country, well, that helps to get notoriety for the startup companies and, uh, you know, and puts them on stage so people know about their services and, you know, and that can drive sales. It also gives 
notoriety to the sponsors about how they're supporting the small business and entrepreneurial community. So it's kind of a win-win for them there. Then the final part of what we do is under the brand, the Wireless Research Center, we operate a wireless testing facility because everything is getting connected to the internet. Almost everything today that's a piece of hardware at least has an antenna in it. And, and we have engineers and, and folks that can help you to get those products designed, get the performance up to par to where they need to be, and then even do the regulatory certifications necessary to go to market. That's great. Yeah, it sounds like, I mean, what Riot does is sort of analogous to this data economy that's coming, which is there has to be some infrastructure, there has to be some human coordination, but once you have those sort of tracks and pipes laid, then many magical things can happen. Um, what's the, do you want to highlight any of the like best successes from the accelerator program or, or I don't even know if that's grammatically correct, but do you want to, you know, yeah, cast a spotlight on a couple of the, the, the better success stories? Uh, we've had somebody come through, I hate, hate picking favorites, but I, I'll talk about one recently that just won a national award. Cause I think that might be interesting. Um, we had a company come through our program called Greenstream Technologies. Uh, they were based out of Norfolk, Virginia and had developed out essentially some stream level monitors that they could deploy anywhere. They had you know, solar cells on them and things. So you didn't necessarily need a power source. They had long range radios for data transmission and, and, uh, and they're able to run analytics based on stream levels to help understand when is an intersection in some community going to flood well ahead of when it's actually going to flood. Right. We, we want to take things and come go from being reactive to becoming really predictive. And, um, you know, how do we get emergency responders in place before the flash flood happens, for example? Uh, how do you help a jurisdiction that's three counties downstream from where that huge rainfall just happened to know, you know what, two hours from now, you're going to have a problem. Um, how do we manage our reservoirs in the right way that we don't have dam breaks and things? So there, there's an awful lot of really valuable things that can be done by understanding stormwater. And, uh, and so we, we worked with Greenstream, we helped them to develop out some municipal relationships to kind of polish up their tech to get it all working right. And, and, um, and then as a neutral convener, we thought, well, it'd be interesting to see if we could do some regional data sharing across the state of North Carolina. So we brought together a number of county governments, municipal governments, the emergency management department for, for the state of North Carolina and the state government, um, and a few uh, corporate partners, including SAS and Cisco and, and little companies like Greenstream. And, and we architected a framework for sharing all of that data openly back and forth between municipal groups and, uh, and plotting it on Esri maps and other things. And, uh, and that project, you know, in aggregate, not only is, you know, saving lives in a state that's regularly hit by hurricanes and others, but was just awarded by IDC the smart water project of the year for 2020. Um, so it was a great success. Um, and if, yeah, if you're in municipal government in any way, I recommend reaching out to Greenstream Technologies. It's a huge success. That's great. So congrats um, for your role in that, of course. Um, okay, cool. So I'm thinking about, um, you know, smart cities. Is that a standard definition or does that kind of mean many things to many people when you hear the term smart cities? Yeah, it's a, it's a buzzword. And so people have different definitions, probably. I, I think uh, the, this, this smart 
adjective that we give everything will eventually go away a little bit. Like I said, IOT will go away. Eventually our watch is just gonna be our watch again. It won't be our smart watch. Our, our cities will be our cities again. Um, it's just a little bit of an aside. We're seeing more and more people use the word smart communities instead of smart cities, just to, to help realize it, no matter what size you're, the location you live in, the same technology and principles can apply. Uh, so you don't have to be in the city, but, but I really think that anywhere you see that word smart, it's, it's just saying that we're leveraging these connected device and data collection, data analytics technologies towards more and more real-time outcomes, more and more automated outcomes. So a smart city is a locality that is, is deploying these new technologies. Yeah, well, hold on, let me check my smartphone real quick, which That's is differentiated right. from your phone. <laughs> um, yeah, okay, cool. So I, I keep thinking about, you know, I guess maybe also IoT for dummies is like dot, dot, dot for dummies needs to go away, right? Because many people don't grasp many of the concepts that are out there. But, you know, when I'm thinking about, you know, how to drive more innovation and entrepreneurship, um, you know, it seems like there's, I, I, you know, it's like, it seems like there's this barrier of like, if I either have to piggyback into an existing data set, or I have to start to consider, am I deploying my own data? What are the bigger challenges? Well, and you gave the green stream one. I mean, that was a lot of people, I mean, that takes a village, you know? So like, what are the biggest challenges or how should kind of entrepreneurs and innovators be thinking about this if they're in the kind of the data, you know, space in the cities space, aka not smart cities, but you know what I mean? Like how, how should they be thinking about this? And are, are there, it used to be there's too many barriers, too many hurdles, right? It's like, oh, you can't do IoT. You gotta like manufacture hardware and do a deployment at that building. And then you've got one customer, then you gotta do that a bunch of times only to try to get some SaaS revenue. You might as well just build you know, something else, right? So how, how are you advising entrepreneurs to think about this and where are they seeming to go more? Yeah, I, I think it comes down to probably two, two things. One is um, don't try and do everything yourself. You know, find partners, go to those, you know, kind of creative communities or gathering places that I talked about to, to meet people to work together with. Um, and then all of that partnership and networking together has to be framed around really, really strict focus on staying you know, laser focused on what the customer need is. And, and um, by looking at that need, you will then understand what you need to build to, to solve that need. And then the things that you can do yourself, you do, and the ones that you can't, you, you know, you reach out to these communities to find the right partners to do them. I will advise kind of related to this, you know, if there's anybody in the investment community that's listening in, the investment community, and I'm thinking mostly like VC style investors, have been a little bit spoiled for the last few decades in how easy it is to um, to, to launch a SaaS company, a, a company that doesn't have any hardware or any real infrastructure cost at all. You know, essentially all you need to pay for for an early stage company is you know a couple of laptops and some cloud computing, right? You know, and, and the founders aren't even taking a salary yet, right? So that the, the cost of of investing in SaaS startups is relatively low. And going forward, because data is becoming a much more key component of any real-time solution and guaranteeing access to that data could mean that you want to own the hardware that's that's got the sensors deployed in it, means that some of the some of the, the startups in this data economy are going to be a little bit more expensive uh, to, to get launched. But 
and, and so that's you know that's something that that will be a change in mindset I think for the investment community. The the defense to spending a little bit of extra money up front like that is that it is hard. To your point, Nick, it it's extra work to have to deploy devices or design hardware and and do these extra steps. But by the very nature of that being hard work, that's defense against competition. It's really easy for 15 copycat SaaS companies to launch as soon as somebody discovers an interesting market niche. But it's really hard for 15 other companies to also launch and also do hardware and everything else. And so, um, you know, where you can, you might partner with a hardware provider and just do the software piece. I think the strongest companies are going to be the ones that do both. And, And the reason that I think the industry is moving that way is that the biggest of the big software companies are making such huge investments in hardware. They see the future coming and they're preparing for it. Yep. Yeah. Are, are they making, are they doing it in the way that's like kind of infrastructure or they want to own it and, and can, and then a small startup compete with that if they're like, you know what I mean? Or is I guess is your competitive need then to still have the better experience, the better insights, even though you're gonna have duplicate sort of hardware infrastructure. They, this is a trend that is, you know, we're, we're in the early throes of it and it's very exciting and there's lots going on, but this is a, this is a 20 year evolution. There's plenty of time to get involved. There's plenty of use cases that the big companies haven't even thought of yet. Um, so I would, I wouldn't discourage anybody from thinking there's not good opportunity in, with small companies. And then I think what will happen is just like most major technology shifts, there'll be, you know, thousands of fragmented solutions and over time there'll be consolidations and acquisitions and and so on and so you know particularly if you're thinking about starting a company and hope to get bought one day this is a great time to start an iot company oh well bam let's do it was that considered financial advice i'm sorry this disclaimer not considered (laughs) so i yeah the biggest thing i heard is um you know, if we can kind of have some business model innovation around how different thinking in a multi-layered way about how to make money off of the infrastructure, and that can justify the investment into it. And it's more like laying down broad. I mean, you know, you want to make sure you can't just be easily leapfrogged, but it's kind of like the oil rig or the broadband where it's like, if I build this and I've got access to this asset for a certain amount of lifespan. And with that, I can, you know, make this value in the marketplace without it, I can have nothing. Um, And if I can proactively be thinking about ways to, you know, monetize that by making that data available to other instances in a, you know, non-competitive way or whatever, but still mine, I can turn their faucet off. Then now I've actually got more return. I can layer on that and I can justify even more investment. So I think, you know, if we can, hopefully if the like, sort of capital stack can kind of line up with that and there's a little bit of innovation in the, you know, kind of approach to, to thinking about it. I mean, just like, I mean, I don't know if it just needs like the Elon Musk kind of thing, but actually it wasn't Elon Musk. It was another company before his solar one that was basically pivoted to kind of like, all they did was like think about financing and they just like attached them to the home and made them a part of, you know, the asset, not like you have to go finance this thing separately. And just by putting, you know, notes that mirrored the home note on them, they were able to do more sales because people were like, oh yeah, this is adds to my cost as opposed to it's a separate one off. So I think kind of thinking far and wide um, and ways to kind of monetize and recoup is going to be an important sort of element to this. And I've got, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, okay, cool. That's great. What else? I mean, before I have other thoughts, but before we hit time, have you done the uh, awareness around Riot and around some of the upcoming, upcoming stuff that you want to do? Or do you have any more plugs that you feel are kind of important um, for this combo? I, I, I don't need to plug anything else necessarily. I mean, I, 
we would love to get as many people engaged in our community as we can. Everything that we offer to startups, entrepreneurs, just people in the community is free. So we don't charge any money. Uh, although we would love to hear from, you know, any other corporate partners that would love to become a sponsor. Um, but you can find that information at riot.org. But, but I will just add, you know, briefly to what you said, because you, you're absolutely right, Nick, that by deploying that infrastructure, there will be new applications that we've never even thought about that will come to bear. You know, for example, there's been a lot of discussion around how do we do remote healthcare monitoring? Well, one of the things that is interesting to the medical community is, is persistent monitoring, you know, taking measurements all the time in a very similar and controlled way. Well, the driver's seat of the car is a great location where someone sits in exactly the same way at about the same time every day if they're commuting to work. They hold onto a steering wheel that could have sensors in it. They're, you know, who would think that maybe an automobile would be a great surrogate for a doctor's office, but a place to take a daily measurement every morning and every evening on your way to and from work that, that could solve your health care? Well, whoever owns that car and decides hey, there's an interesting application of these sensors that are in the vehicle can unlock an entirely new kind of revenue that was never even thought of before. So the, the early adopters now that are deploying sensors in different ways for certain use cases, if they keep that open mind to use them for lots and lots of different kinds of use cases, they're extremely well positioned. Yep. Yeah, that's a total whole nother convos around like how cars are like have somehow have been rethought to make an amazing comeback. Like they are such a potential sort of quarterback for all these different things. Payments, you know, was another convo. Like, I mean, yeah. I could actually just have a whole episode on just like car slices, but no, that's great. I, it's, you know, it, and I love what Riot's doing and I can kind of obviously advocate and vouch for, for Riot in that it is so new and nascent that others have a hard time kind of finding what the opportunity is. And if we can start and it, and they need lots of collisions of needs, providers, people just being willing to be like, I mean, even if it's a corporate sponsor being like, I've got hardware, just who wants this? Like, I, cause they don't know what to do with it. They're trying to make more sales. Uh, entrepreneurs saying, I think I have this business need, but yeah, getting kind of the municipalities involved. I think you've done a great job of building the ecosystem. And I think, you know, you're right. I think, you know, we are in the early stages of this. And I do like, I mean, I don't even know if a year or two years ago, I really had as clear of a thought around, you know, this infrastructure is stuff that you could sell, resell, lease, release out, as opposed to we're building a bunch of use cases that get installed at a thing. You know, like I install stuff sensors in a factory and it tells you when your machine needs maintenance. Well, like there could be other data there that is not, competitive to your business that if you have, you know, 10,000, you know, customers, you could be selling them, I don't know, geothermal kind of data feedback that people can license. And now that could just, maybe we could see an Excel, I think with more thoughts around that, which if I'm thinking at 20 other people or 20,000, 20 million, I've already thought about that, but, you know, hopefully through that kind of thinking, we can see an acceleration and kind of the, you know, innovation, like infrastructure layer. Absolutely. And, and I'll encourage too, we've had multi-billion dollar, you know, international companies put teams through our startup accelerator just to do that, to ideate on, we have all these skills and assets, like how should we be using them in ways that we haven't thought of yet? How do we create that new business unit or that new revenue stream that we haven't thought of before? And we, we love those kind of projects. So, we, you know, any, anyone that, that wants, you know, reach out, we'll take a conversation, we'll introduce you to some folks to, 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 to have those kind of idea sessions. But um, yeah, it's a great time right now to be innovating just because all these technologies are so low cost. That's great. 
Well, I'm going to reach back out. I hope others do too. I've got, I think I have like three. I've got a, I think I have a remote sensing opportunity. Um, I'm interested in like a high rise building infrastructure, you know, IOT infrastructure as a service. I think um, that's a, like a, it's an asset class of people who just don't know what to do with They're They're there, they're, it's space, it can be useful. It's already constructed. Um, so what's the future of that? And then kind of the, the com combination of like smart grid, smart city, um, blockchain, you know, is sort of a whole other sort of separate kind of thought bubble that I'm sort of thinking in. Um, but those are three that I think would be fun to explore with you guys. And uh, I look forward to kind of keeping that conversation going. Well, thanks, you know, Tom, for joining. This is awesome. I mean, I miss the days of like, we can also do this in person or hit some golf balls or, or whatever, but this was great. This has uh, um, been a fun hour and I, I appreciate your time and thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Nick. I can't wait. Uh, vaccines are on the way. So hopefully uh, a few more months <laughs> we'll get back out on the links together. That's right. All right, thanks, Tom.